You're listening to the Sunday teaching from Journey Church Tampa. You've joined us in our series, Redefined, Reclaiming Words That Matter. We hope wherever you are in your week, this time ministers to you. So when I very first, um, when Val very first told me that we were expecting our first kid, it was, a, it was a complete shock to the both of us. And how many know that you, um, you have all kinds of plans when you very first get married? And one of them is like you're, you're, you're going to have kids after five years. You're going to own a certain home within three years. Um, you're going to be out of debt by a certain amount of years. And Val and I had that kind of thought process of like we want to be married uh, five or six years before we have any kids. And then we'll start having kids. And then when we do, we're just going to have a lot of them. Um, we just, that was our goal. And then five months in, um, Val <laughs> found out she was pregnant um, with John Michael. There was a lot going on in our life during that time period. Um, I was working for Coca-Cola, uh, really was working up my ranks, uh, working up the ranks of promotion. It was really a, a good job for Val and I at the time period. And, um, and then got this offer, offer to go to Alabama to be a youth pastor. And we just felt like that that was really what God called us to do. And so we went, we did it, we took it. And it was a beautiful experience for the most part. And I can remember plain as day, um, Val finding out what the baby was. And I had been praying for a girl. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I know why back then I was praying for a girl and it was complete and total selfish motives. It was because everybody in my family had nothing but boys. No one on our side of the family had any girls. And so I wanted, I wanted a girl. I wanted to be the first to have a girl. I just always thought it was really incredible to have a girl. And thankfully, the Lord has given me two sweetheart girls. I mean, they're just incredible little daughters. But at first, I wanted a girl. And when we found out that it was a boy, I was incredibly, incredibly mad at God. What a silly thing to be mad at God, right? I mean, but I was mad at him. And I was like, God, why in the world do you want me? I've prayed and I've asked. Back then, I felt like if I prayed something, then God owed it to me. How many know what I'm talking about? Some of you are still there. You'll, you'll come out of on the other side. Okay. But I, I felt like, okay, God, why in the world? And I can remember specifically really hearing from the Lord very, very clearly. I mean, I can remember just sitting outside of my red Toyota Celica GT. I was sitting on the front of it. Had round rubber tires, cherry apple red Bose stereo system, man. Uh, it was just beautiful. It was beautiful. And I was sitting on that car, and I was just kind of complaining. I was grumbling, and I can just remember this. It's just like just very vivid. I can't even remember where I was parked at. And I was just very frustrated. I was processing all of that with the Lord. I mean, now keep in mind, I was only 20, 21 at the time. Uh, 20 which where were our parents at? Like, what were we doing? But anyway, uh, 20 years old, having kids. And I can remember the Lord just, just saying to me, I'm giving you a boy to teach you how to be a dad, teach you how to be a dad. I, I didn't grow up. I mean, most of you know my testimony in this regard. I, I, didn't, I didn't grow up with a father. I, I, I had one. He was a hard-charging 101st Airborne Special Forces kind of guy. He was in and out of my life a lot, gone. And then uh, later on in my life, my parents got, well, not later on, but earlier on in my life that my parents got divorced and he just kind of went in my head. I didn't see him. And so when I got to church, most of the guys in the church became my dad. 
my mom went and she bought a basketball goal. I don't know what she was thinking, but you have to put those things up. You have to actually install them. And uh, the only people that knew how to do that were guys in the church. And so they showed up and they did that. And they played with me and they took me hunting and they took me uh, hiking. They did all of these different things and they poured their life into me. And I realized something over that, that time period. Part of the reason why I love the church so much is because I love how the church is able to cover deficits in our own personal lives. Is that even though most of us, and, and, and people ask me all the time, this is probably the single greatest issue that I deal with is father wounds. Not just with young men, but also with young women. Fathers that were there, fathers that weren't there, fathers that were there, but maybe not emotionally available. All of those things, we can all go around the room and we can even share some of our own stories about that. Even spending time with people today, the ache that people have as a result of a father, a missing father. There was a study by, um, well, I don't really want to, I don't have time really to get into that. But I will say this, Hallmark, several years ago, decided that they were going to give all the prisoners in one particular state, I think it was Illinois, as many Mother's Day cards as they possibly could. They ran out. They didn't have enough Mother's Day cards. So they thought, man, this is so wildly successful. We're going to do the same for Father's Day. And they couldn't find people to give the cards to because most of the inmates didn't know their father. I think fatherlessness is a big issue today. And, and most of the things that we experience or see as hurt in our own lives as a result of that. And that's not to take away from moms by no means because by, I, I think none of us would be here if it wasn't for moms. Can we all agree on that? It's not anything to say uh, on that. And there's a ton culturally that we can address with that. Most of the time, fathers are portrayed as these guys that are very much aloof. They've got their new balances on. They don't know what's happening, kind of completely checked out, doing dad jokes all the time. And if you wear new balances and tell dad jokes, it's not necessarily an indictment on you. But that's culturally what we see a lot of times is that dads are out of the picture. Moms are constantly fighting and doing all these things. Or on the vice versa, there's a competition between women that I am the mom. I take care of these kids. I'm responsible for them. And the men are kind of pushed off to the side or vice versa. There's a lot going on. But the Bible has a lot to say. I'm not going to say a lot of it today. But the Bible has a lot to say about what it means to work in unison. I think one of the biggest things that we try here at the church to do is to build healthy families, to be able to help men and women to break generational curses so that someday when your kids are in their 60s and 70s, they can say, my dad was always there for me, that my dad was always there. I had two things or one really major decision to make, and I can remember this very vividly. I, I was doing something around the church acting a fool, got called out for it. And someone said, you know, it's okay. He doesn't have a dad. And I can remember specifically uh, one particular person looking at me and saying, that is not an excuse for you to act the way that you're acting. And here's what I've learned is I can sit around and talk about my father wound all day, or I can live into the calling that God has called me to so that I don't continue to process that through the generations of my family, what that looks like. And how many are thankful that there is a breakthrough spirit on the power of God to change generations. That we are not stuck in what's been given to us. That God has come so that we may have life and have life more abundantly. And this is really where Father's Day 
is such a huge portion of what we talk about and what we want to live and how we want to disciple. I was telling the guys, we've got five weeks until we leave to go to Colorado. And anybody ever just literally watched the microwave and for two minutes, it feels like two years. It's literally watching the calendar, the countdown to Colorado. I can't wait to go off with these men and talk about what it means to be men of God who carry themselves with character, that love their wives and love their kids. But I learned something during this time period. You either sow into a generation or you don't. You either give your life living for other people or you don't. And that's really what ends up, what we, what we really call, and even a couple of weeks ago when Jesus was getting on the Pharisees and he says, I, walk, I will walk by your tomb and you will not even be noticed. You either sow yourself into a generation or you don't. And that's the thing that I realized about the church is that I wanted to give my life to the next generation, the next generation being millennials and then even Gen Z. And one of the things that I learned through this time period was that in order to be a good father, I first learned, had to learn how to be a good husband. And in order to be a good husband, I had to learn how to be a good son. And all of that builds upon one another. Because most of us don't, don't really understand or don't see or don't recognize that the impact that these things have had on us is that we, haven't, we weren't taught how to be good sons. And so because of that, we take that into our marriage and we, weren't, we're not really, we haven't learned how to be a good husband. And as a result of that, we don't know how to really carry ourselves as a good father. And so I started looking at those three in my life. What does it mean to be a good son? I didn't have, obviously, the opportunity to be that in the natural. But I realized that I could be with that with my father. What does it mean to be his son? To be founded in him, my identity to be found in him. And out of that, I'm able to carry myself as a good husband. How do I love my wife and how do I stand for truth and call them to things and have a mutual submission with her to where it's not overbearing and authoritative and at the same time knowing when to take the reins and saying this is where we're going and this is what we're doing and how do I become a good father. G.K. Chesterton said this. He said, the really great man is the man who makes every man feel great. The idea of what it means. And that's really what our fathers should do is to make us feel great, to feel like we're better than ourselves. I want you to turn with me to John chapter 3 and verse 16. I just want to go ahead and grab your Bibles and we're going to, we're going to turn there. And I just encourage you guys to always have your Bibles with you. But John chapter 3 verse 16 and most of us can probably quote this. If you watched any any sports whatsoever, you almost always see this in the end zone. John 3.16. If we're going to talk about fatherhood, this is a great place to be. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So the first thing that we see about our Father is that He's incredibly generous. Bill Johnson said this, when fatherhood works well, it is marked by generosity. It is marked by generosity. We're generous fathers. Does that mean that we give, uh, some of us don't have a lot of money to give, and some of us are working towards that, but we can give our time. Several years ago, I made a huge adjustment to make sure that I was home. And I said that my father 
wasn't around, I made sure that whenever my kids later on in life, they can never say my dad wasn't there. That my dad, I, 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 a few years ago, I was, I was talking to my boys and we were just kind of going back and forth and having those growing, raising of age, like growing pain conversations. And it was like, I am going to annoyingly always be in your life. You'll never find me anywhere else than in your life. It's a marathon. I love the fact that I talk about 18, 19, 20, and 21 and that they move out. I love that. EJ moved out this week. I feel the burden is decreasing year after year. Reno moved out. It's just like we keep seeing the increase or decrease of God's burden on our life. We find true joy in that. (laughs) They may move out, but they're always going to be a part of your life. They may be gone, but they're always a part of your life. And how you live yourself and how you carry yourself and what you want to be able to do is go, hey, you may not always agree with me, but the thing is always generous. Have, you given my, have I given my time to you? Have I been able to sit with you? Have I been willing to offend you or frustrate you or make you mad? Have I been willing to pray for you as Job did and said, my kids went out last night just in case they did anything wrong. He didn't know that they had sinned. But just in case they've done anything wrong, let me offer up a prayer on their behalf. The reality is is that our kids go through things. They all go through things. And there's a a spirit that's kind of within our culture to where we want to give uh, our kids uh, this idea where we're their friends much sooner than we need to be. And at the same time, where we're not friends or not able to have conversations with them. But these conversations should always be marked in generosity. That whenever you have, and it was neat this morning to wake up and just kind of have, and I'm not quite old enough for this just yet, but guys that consider me a spiritual father texting and saying, hey, I love you, thank you, where would I be, what is going on? The, the reality is that generosity is marked by this. I want men like Dan to go further than me. I want the people that you haven't, we have invested our lives to go further. I want the, my boys to be able to not have to go through and my daughters not to have to go through the things that I went through. They need to learn lessons by all means. They need to fight through the same stuff. But how many would agree with me not to actually have to face the uphill battle that some of us had to face and go through? The second thing is is that what you want to see with your parenting fathers is that you want to make sure that you're doing training for the day. Training for the day. And what is that day? What is that day? Let me ask you a question right now. This is the best way to describe it. What is the one thing that if God could do for you right now, what would it be? Just think about it for just a second. If God could do one thing for you, what would it be? Now, here's what I want you to imagine. God walking over to you right now and writing you a blank check for that one thing. How many would take it? Okay. But the question is, would you be ready for it? Would you be ready for it? The training for the day. What is your day? Is it some day growing up and owning your own business? Is your day sometime walking in the call of God that he's called over your life? What is your day? It's training for the day. Patrick Morley says like this, if you want to lead a balanced life, decide how many hours you want to work and stick to your guns. Put work appointments on your calendar and pencil, but I love this, but put your family commitments in pen. Love is time and time is love. This idea of the Holy Spirit working and 
teaching and leading and being a part fathers, we are to train our kids for the day. I don't know what it is that my kids are going to do. I have, have no idea what that looks like, but I want to make sure and train them for whatever that day is in their life, to be able to have conversations with them about what it means to be married or what it means to be able to carry themselves financially in certain areas or say, hey, don't buy this because this is a terrible investment. Uh, delay some gratification here because if you do, then you might be able to carry and hold on some things later on in life. Don't get caught up in what your friends are saying here. Don't get caught up in doing this or don't get caught up in those kind of things, but training them for the day to be able to sit with them and to encourage them. And the third thing, the last thing that we're going to do here or talk about for just a moment is that we want to reveal God's nature, the revelation of God's nature. For most of us, part of the reason why we have an issue with the Father is because we have an issue with our earthly fathers. Because God was meant for the family, and specifically men, to reveal the heart of the Father to his kids. And so we learn a lot about the Father, our Heavenly Father, from our earthly father. Was our earthly father kind? Was he harsh? Was he neglectful? Or was he always present? Was he there or was he not there? Was he a part of this or not? And you talk about all of this and he goes, man, I have in so many ways dropped the ball, which can be the, the, the first thought that a lot of people think when you start giving out lists like this. And it's okay for us to be able to acknowledge sometimes that we've dropped the ball. Because I'm thankful for that opportunity because it gives me an opportunity not to continue the same things that I've been doing year after year, but allow the Holy Spirit to come in and teach me that I can overcome whatever it is that I may have neglect or may have dropped the ball in. Dennis uh, Rainey says it like this, what a boy can use and too often doesn't have are the heart of his father and the fellowship of men. A boy needs at least one man who pays attention to him, spends time with him, and admires him. A boy needs a role model, a man whom he can regard as a mentor. And we talked about this last week, how important discipleship is, this idea of pouring our lives into other people and the people that we can experience. Psychologists have said time and time again, and this isn't just Christian psychologists, this is secular if you want to use that term, but psychologists have all agreed that the self-esteem from both the men or from boys and from girls come from the fathers. The idea of whether or not that they have a ton of fear or whether or not they believe in themselves, all of that comes from the father is that we are to reveal God's nature. And so when you get a group of men, a group of young men, or a group of, of guys that are willing to break from the culture, they're willing to find themselves and their identity in sonship, when they're willing to be husbands that have called themselves to look at only one woman and to give themselves to her completely and totally and to support her and to encourage them, then what you end up seeing is fathers. And let me end with this statement or this last thought. The idea here is that when we see the end times come, when you know that the end times are coming, it's not because gas prices are through the roof. It's not because, you know, going to a movie now costs $430. It's not, it's not because there's wars in Ukraine. The reality is what you're going to see, those things have been going on since the history of the world. But you mark my words, whenever you start to see revival break out with men becoming the men that God has called them to be, the hearts of young men, young prodigals that had been full of rebellion, 
turn back to their earthly fathers and there being a fathering spirit that comes upon the church, you had better get to your knees because Jesus is going to come back soon. What do you mean, Pastor Michael? It's, we got this war in Russia. We do, okay? And, and, and listen, it could be, maybe not. I don't know. Is it terrible? Absolutely. All war is terrible. But what we see in the Bible very clearly is that he says, in the last days, I will turn the hearts of the fathers back to their sons, and I will turn the hearts of the young men back to their fathers, that there's something happened. Because we've been talking a lot about agreement, but there's this unbroken chain of fathers loving their sons, and then sons loving their families, and then those sons turning and loving their families, and the Holy Spirit. What you see today, more than anything else, more than wars and rumors of wars, is the enemy hates families. With everything he has, he hates families. He wants to destroy them, distract them, take away from them, divide them, and cause for men to be completely disengaged, off lost boys, 60 years old, still playing with their toys, or 15-year-olds, refusing to grow up into the men that God's called them to be. Both of them need to have the heart of the father come to them and say, hey, you can still be 60 years old and have toys and have taking care and taking care of your own business and be childlike. I mean, what I'm talking about. I mean, I remember a long time ago, Val looked at me and it was just funny because I was playing with the kids and I turned around and looked at her and she was looking at me like I was hot. You know what I'm saying? And I realized, she, and I said, what's going on? She said, there's just something about a man playing with his kids. There's just something about a man being engaged with his kids. And we want to, as a church, see the Holy Spirit breathe on that. We want as a church for us to be able to say, how do we support that? We don't want to make jokes as women about men being aloof and completely uh, out of it. We don't want to make sure that we come in as, and usurp authority. And we don't have that going on. But I'm just saying we want to make sure that we go whatever is culturally, biblically uh, healthy is what we want in our families because we want to see God move deep in that. Man, I am so incredibly proud of my boys. And I'm so incredibly proud of my girls. And here's the thing. It's not because I was a great father. It's not because they have a great mom, even though they do. It's because in the midst of all of that, we, we realized one thing, that I was able to sit with Val. She was able to sit with me, and we were able to co-optively together carry ourselves in a way to where we repented when we needed to. We were firm when we needed to. We called people to things when we needed to. We didn't back off our guns when we felt like that. It would be more expedient to do that. How many agree with me, parents? It's very easy to do that sometimes. When you just go, I don't want to fight this fight anymore. And it, we want, we're going to pray here in just a minute that the Holy Spirit gives you more fight in a good way. We're going to pray in a minute that the Holy Spirit really ministers to you and that the Holy Spirit really does some things because that's the power of God. So what are we supposed to be redefining? That wasn't the sermon this morning, by the way. That was just a little Father's Day message completely kidding, but we are supposed to be defining breathe. And go ahead and stand with me because we're going to end with some ministry time this morning. Joe Michael, is the, can you come play on the keyboard, bud? <clears throat> Still a little father's son. Father's day. 
Let's redefine breathe. Do I have any Star Wars fans in here? We don't have to clap, just whatever. <laughs> How many, how many Star Wars fans? Okay. All right. So you, you'll understand this. How many just wanted to do the hand wave, you know, to your boss? Let's go. Yes, you can leave work early today. <laughs> what, what is the, the, the thing that keeps the entire Star Wars universe going? It's the force, right? And the beautiful part about this is that we can't necessarily wave our hands. But Jesus didn't leave us down here without a force that works in our lives. That's the breath of God. The Ruach. His Holy Spirit. Has anyone ever felt dry before? Just felt dry? Or just felt out of touch or out of step? Or maybe even feel like you're right here and you wish God was on the stage, but he's not. You don't even know if God's in the same building. That's a, that's a Ruach issue. It's the breath of life, God breathing into you. And it's the breath of God that carries his life force. As I get older, one of the things I realize is that I can do something for a short amount of time in my own power. But if I really want to do something for the long term, I have to do it in his power. I need his life force. And I think some of us are tired and some of us are heavy and carrying burdens on our li- in our life because we've, we're trying to do it in our own life force. We're, we're trying to wave our hand in front of it and we're trying to say, you know what, whatever it may be, and we need his life force. We need his Ruach, his breath to come over us. There's two scriptures in Ezekiel chapter 37, five through six. And it says, this is, this is what the sovereign Lord said to these bones. And I really felt like this in a prophetic sense this morning. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. How many of you just felt tired in your bones? He said, I will make, I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. You know, the kind of folk in here this morning that is untouchable. It's not the person that is all together. It is not the person that is on staff. It's not the person that stands on the stage. The person in here that's untouchable is the person who's been through some stuff and has seen the breath of God work on their behalf. And they just know that whatever situation they get in, that God's breath isn't going to be there for them again.